Up next on episode 73 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss the meaning of professionalism online, the divide between ad-subsidized and pay business models, and the five things everyone should hate about their favorite programming language. From IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Hey, remember we used to, we used to sit in our, at our desks and do podcasts? <laughs> we, would use, we would use headsets instead of some kind of wonky field recorder. Sound quality yes. was high. We could take our shoes off. There were none of those pesky guests trying to get a word in edgewise. Right. We didn't have to wear clothes. Well... Oh, I did. You do. Well, as far as that, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in Fog Creek. I mean, maybe it's that kind of office. You know, you, you, you know. Oh. So are we, are we done with Dev Days now? Is that over? Forever. Forever. Yeah. Just gone. Over. Done. Goodbye. That people seem to like it. I mean, the general consensus. They did. They did. Was, it, it was a worthwhile thing. I, the trouble is I focused for some reason on all the little things that were going wrong and during, well, during dev days and just sort of didn't have time to even concentrate on the 96% that was going right. So it was well, like I a have, solid A minus, I would say, for the whole conference. Well, I have some observations. My observation okay. is that you're, you're so busy analyzing the process yeah. and thinking about ways to improve it, which is good. I mean, that's, that's one thing you definitely want to see with somebody that you work with is that they're thinking not only how are we doing this, but how could we do it better next time? Mm-hmm. But I think you did that sometimes a little too much to the detriment of the actual event. Like, you know, I mean, not to the detriment. I mean, it, it was a good event, but I'm saying you obsessed over it a little too much at the, at the time it was happening. I yeah. think the, the time to worry about that stuff is like the whole postmortem where you're like, you know, you're filing all that stuff away. Like, here's all the things that went wrong. Here's right. how we could fix them. Right. And then at the end of that, you say, okay, so next cycle, here's what we're going to do to fix all this crap that yeah. went wrong. Yeah, Absolutely. So, I mean, it's good that you're thinking that, but I just, like you said, it, it, the event itself, I think, was a success. I think it was a success. Although next so, time, it's just, like I said, I said this on Twitter, you, me, Rory, and Scott Hanselman. <laughs> That's it. We're just doing our own little conference. Oh, and Miguel. And Miguel. And Miguel. Yeah, how could you forget Miguel? Yeah. We, in fact, we're, we should just clone Miguel. Just have five Miguels. That would, I think, go over very well. We're all sort of independent-minded but but having previously been associated with the Borg in some way, or just in some way, like we're like kind of like halfway in the Microsoft world, halfway out. Yeah, we're like independent-minded Microsoft developers. Well, I think that. So that's not right. Yeah, but I, I think that there actually have to be people from the outside. This is one thing I like. The other conference I like a lot that I've been—I haven't been to that many conferences, to be honest. Hmm. But uh, Microsoft's mix, and the one reason I explicitly liked it was because it did bring in people from outside the Microsoft sort of purview. Yeah, it you know? used to, but this year, this year it didn't really, did it? Um, I haven't. We went to checked it. intently. Well, we went to it, but when you go to it, it's not the same as attending. When you're presenting, it's like a different thing. Yeah. So I didn't actually pay attention. But historically, when historically, I, gone, I mean, there used to be other outside sponsors, people talking about. Other, I mean, it was just sort of like a like Microsoft version of an internet conference. Yes, there were panels where they'd have people from, say, Yahoo, for example, and uh, you know, companies that weren't Microsoft. I don't know. I, uh, I really got the impression this time that it was just another big old Microsoft demo. Every every sponsor was like Windows Server, Visual Studio. You know, there were no outside sponsors. Yeah, well, it's still a Microsoft conference. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I mean, compared to uh, say TechEd, tech you know, uh, PDC, yeah. they tend to be way more Microsofty in nature, but. Uh, I, I liked what you did with this. And, and to be clear, Joel was really driving the, the vast majority of dev days. I mean, I had very little input. And, and that's good because Joel has a lot more experience with this stuff than I do. I have zero. <laughs> that's not really true. Wait, what conference have I ever done? Well, you did the, the Fogbugs World Tour, right? 
That's true, but that was just me going to a bunch of cities and talking about fog bugs. Yeah, true. But I, I think you had the right ideas, though, which was the yeah. non-denominational stuff. Of, that was you know, good. That was good. Yeah, and so, I stand behind that. And there were some people who were just whining about that. And they were like, you know, could we have tracks, please? <laughs> I'm like These are probably the same people that want, like, a separate Stack Overflow for C Sharp. Yeah. <laughs> like, C Sharp, that Stack Overflow to console. I never have seen that other stupid stuff. <laughs> well, anyway, let's not... Uh, Dev Days, great success. Move on. <laughs> I'm so right. tired of that. <laughs> yes. Well, I figured you were, but it was I exhausting. A, little, a little summary at the end because yeah. it is over. Yeah. Uh, so. We're going to the business of software next week. By the time our listeners are listening to this, we'll probably be there. That's true. Uh, different conference. And that one I just sort of lend my name to. But you do you speak at that? I do. Once, but I mean, it's not like, and actually I do have to introduce a bunch of the speakers, but it's not like my show. It's really Neil's show. Right. So that's in San Francisco uh, next week. That so is in San Francisco at the Weston Hotel. This podcast should go up before then, so it's still relevant. Uh, hopefully I want to get it up today. Yeah. So I have something I want to talk about. So okay. uh, our buddy, Robert Scoble, which oh, I know yeah. some people have mixed feelings about Robert. What but, a nice guy, but he's such a nice guy. He's, a, he's genuinely a nice person. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever met him, and I think this comes through in his writing, he's, he's just a nice person. And not everybody online, honestly, is a nice person. <laughs> no, I've discovered <laughs> right? so that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is actually a compliment when you meet someone. You say, yeah, hey, he's actually a nice guy. That's, that that kind of means something to me. Uh, but he's not super technical. I think this is why a lot of technical people sort of write him off. Because right. he's not... He doesn't always understand all the stuff that's going on. That's true. And sometimes, sometimes his analysis leaves something to be desired. Let's put it that yes. way. Yes, it tends to be fairly, shall we say, high-level analysis. But he's a super nice guy. And he does have some genuine insight uh, sometimes. And one of his recent posts, which is called The Chat Room Slash Forum Problem, mm-hmm. I liked a lot because I thought he really got to the core of like why communities go wrong. And this is stuff we've talked about uh, on the podcast before and on Stack Overflow. But you don't really hear it. Uh, enumerated quite this way. So first of all, he's talking about the newbie, the wave of newbie problem, which I know you've talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Where eventually so many newbies come in and they're asking all the same questions over and over that mm-hmm. all the experienced people are like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm out of here. This you know? is boring. Yeah, this is boring. It's a bunch of newbies just talking newbie crap and yeah. like, I can't stand it anymore. Yeah. So part of it is you know, prov- you know, saving yourself from how do you deal with the stream of newbies in a way that doesn't drive away the really experienced people? Because the experienced people, what he's really saying is it's an expertise market. Like you come there because the people have expertise. You don't go to a place where a bunch of newbies hang out because what what value would there be? I, sometimes sometimes I've stumbled upon those places. If you ask questions to Google about you know why your mouse driver doesn't work, you get to a place where it's really the blind leading the blind in sort of a kind of an almost an hilarious way. That's right. That's right. So there's a balance there of, okay, you want to be somewhat welcoming to newbies, sure. but yeah. you kind of have to slap them a little too. This is where people I think are afraid – uh, and you, I'm not saying you should be rude. Nobody should be rude to anybody. But there, there's okay. a point of tolerance where you're actually sort of turning people away to some degree. Well, I mean, on Stack Overflow, they would type their question and it would already be there. Is that sometimes. not the theory? I mean, not well, always, but, it might but be you, have quest- you have people that are just not in asking, invested in their question. They're asking in, in a very sloppy way where they're making people just, you know, do my work for me sort of question. Right. And those are not necessarily the people that I want to come back to Stack Overflow. Like, I don't really necessarily want those people to have, you know, a bright, shiny, happy experience because they didn't do anything worthy of us giving them. Unless they ask a question that is actually likely to be popular down the line. But they still have to ask it in a way to make sense. Right, sure. They can't just be like... I mean, there's, there's, there's still bars. And I think people get nervous about that. They think, okay, you've got to have a community that's so welcoming to newbies and brand new people that anybody can do anything in the beginning. And I think they're immediately on the wrong track okay. because you're, 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 you have no barriers to the, this wave of newbies that are just coming in and overwhelm the site and essentially ruin it for everybody. Right, sure. Um, and, and people don't get that. And that's, I think, the first part of his post is talking about that, is, is protecting expertise. And then the other thing that he brought up that it was a really good point is that you don't want too much discussion um, because when you're spending all your time uh, chatting – then you're not really learning. You know, there's, there's sort of a, a divide there between random discussion and Like we do on this focused. podcast. Yeah, well, that, that's because this podcast is a little bit more of an open-ended experience. Well, that's what it's for. 
Yeah, but people do bitch about that. They're like, why are you guys just having conversations? And I'm like, well, that's what we do. <laughs> you don't want to listen? Don't listen. But it's not like an organized educational program. But you're right. You don't want that on, a, on your you – you, you have too much of that where it's just people kind of chatting. Right. Right. We actually we discourage conversation to some degree. This and, is an explicit yeah. thing, and people never get this. They're like, wow, oh my gosh, how can you not let us have these great conversations? But listen to the sentence in Robert Scoble's post. That's true, but the more conversations I got involved in, the less I found I was learning. Mm-hmm. See, this is my point. When, when the, the goal becomes the discussion, you know, and it's not about the information. It's not about, you know, here's my question, here's the technical things that we're looking at, but just, you know, just chatting back and forth, which is fun. It's absolutely fun, but it's not a directed goal of learning. And it doesn't really help you learn. It's, it's more entertaining and it's easier. That's why people want to do it, right? Right. They're just like, oh, just that reminds here. me of something, so I'm going to tell you what that reminds me of. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's what they're doing, you see. Oh. They're saying, you're actually gonna- <laughs> well, no, that's how they get into discussion mode. Discussion mode is, sometimes you see this, like uh, somebody will post a link on, on, on Hacker News and then the response will be, oh, that reminds me. You know, like, like they'll say something completely irrelevant that it just reminds them of. And basically, then they'll hijack the conversation onto something unrelated or peripheral to the original conversation. But that's what discussions do when you're talking with people. And you're just sort of socializing over a beer. Right. And there's a very small amount of that that's okay. Because yeah. we're not going to – I mean, you can't rule it out completely. And but we have it in the comments, but not in the Q&A. That's right. And, and it's that's like why a small comments... font. You can just ignore it. The, the, you, you only really see the first few unless you struggle to expand – so we, but these are really counterintuitive of. things for a lot of people. And, and, and I get honestly a little frustrated with people to come in and sort of tell me, oh, you're doing it wrong. You know, they immediately, <laughs> you know, we're going to have the opposite problem now. It's not the people telling us we're doing it wrong. Is that we're going to get arrogant and be like, well, we're doing it so wrong that we're now the 810th <laughs> largest website in the world after one year and two months. How wrong are we doing it exactly? Just, just you tell me. Okay. <laughs> and we'll get real arrogant and snotty with these people. Yeah, I, I, I think there's some insight here, and, and I think Robert Scoble has been around long enough and has been in part of all these communities long enough to identify some of the same patterns that we have. And I just – I get frustrated because I feel like sure. – I guess maybe they ha- these people haven't participated in enough communities to see these the communities devolve and sort of the anti-patterns that come out. And it just frustrates me that they can advocate things that I know don't work, right. that I've seen don't, not work. And not only do they not work, they're actually toxic. What they're proposing – yeah. rips communities apart. Well, you can just and be like, all right, I'll tell want. you what, that's a great idea. Go make a community and do that. Make your community popular, and then you'll win. <laughs> <laughs> My community, on the other hand. <laughs> right. Uh, I, so, sure. I, I, it's a great post, and the title is a little weird. It's called the chat room slash forum problem, but I thought it was some nice insight and expressed uh, sort of some, some in, internal dialogue I've been having with myself about, you know, why people propose these things that I think don't make any sense. Right. Um, and, and, you, you know, know, I think it doesn't, it, yeah, it, it shouldn't matter that much. You should just move on. I mean, think about, remember the classic thing that Clay Shirky wrote in a, in a group is his own worst, is its own worst enemy, you know, ages ago, you know, a decade ago or something that he wrote that. Uh, and, and the classic part was that people build these community type systems again and again, and they've been doing it since 1969 or whenever the first, you know, love in was and they build these community type things and they either succeed or fail and when they start to break down as they get larger they break down in very predictable ways that all these communities tend to break down in as they get larger and then these people are all surprised and they're like wow and then they write up some article saying we did this and this happened and nobody's ever kind of reading the prior literature except for clay shirky because he's a professor and he has time yeah but uh, every, everybody else is just like, look at this. When you have a lot of people, you get people asking newbie questions. Um, so I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much for having, quote unquote, discovered some of these things which were already kind of possibly well known. I guess the frustration, I guess, now that you've said that, I realize the frustration is people don't do any research. They, they have opinions about things. Yeah, but don't but forget they what they're really doing. Researched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 but the most important thing to remember is that these are just people having a social conversation. So, for example, if you took this person that you're getting angry about because they're telling you to break Stack Overflow in some way because they think it would be better that way, 
it's not that they've researched it and that they care and then it's your business partner and you're sitting there having a meeting in which to decide and it actually matters. What it is is somehow you ran into a guy in the bar and he just wants to have a friendly conversation with you over a pint and you've said X and he said, well, you know, maybe not X. And it's just a conversation. And it, he has no stake in it, the ground, really. There's no, you know, it's not, doesn't matter. It's not like, if you don't do X, I will not invest in you. Or I am your, on your board of directors and I insist on X. Or I will not advertise on your website without X because our committee decided that through our research. It's never that. And it's also never, you know, it's never really the interesting, insightful, smart, and deep people who are coming up with things that are just downright wrong. So what difference does it make? I guess it's just a standard frustration of everybody yeah. is free to have an opinion, but not many people research, do any research before right. having those opinions. Right, and I'm going to go so far as to say that they're not even having an opinion. They would change their mind in five minutes. They're enjoying the conversation. It's just, it's just a conversation act. You know what I mean? It's just like, hey, we're humans. We're having a conversation here. All right, I'm going to take this position. And, and they may get really stubborn about it because that's their personality, but it doesn't even matter, right? Because who are they? It's just a person. And you can have an infinite number of conversations with an infinite number of people, and they, they, they can't all matter. At some point, it's just how much of your time do you want to spend in this internet conversation? There's certain things that I see that, that, that people like to do on the internet that, that they, they have a lot of fun with. Like somebody will write something, and then somebody else will write something else, and then they'll say, war, and they'll try to establish it as like a big battle between these two people. Because that's sort of fun to watch. Sure, it's entertainment. Absolutely. And, yeah, every time somebody of 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 any blog something of any of any uh, that gets any kind of circulation, like if I blog something and a few people read it, um, and then somebody else blogs something that's on the other position, like I blogged something the other day, or actually I wrote an article in Ink Magazine, and DHH wrote sort of a, um, you know, possibly right, possibly wrong rebuttal to it. I mean, he wrote it to kind of a counter position. Wait, wait, which, which ink one was this? Because I read your, uh, your latest one. Uh, I think it was my latest one. The one about uh, Competition, growth? basically. It was the yes. one about, yeah, growth and competition and that kind of stuff. Okay. Like, and I basically said, you know, it suddenly Well, I enjoyed me. that. That was really good, I felt. Well, thank you. But it was just something I was thinking, which is if you're not growing as fast as your competitors, at some point, uh, they start to ha- be every, everything. They start to have all market share, and, 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 and that gets them some advantages. And so DHH wrote a reply to that. Um, David um, um, Hansen Hennemeyer. Right. Did I say that straight? Backwards? That's close enough. Um, from 37 Signals, who I like. I, I, I think is a genuinely smart and, and nice guy, and he's the inventor of Ruby on Rails. And, and um, he wrote something that um, I thought was a little bit off the mark, which is he said Fogbugs doesn't have network effects. And it's true that if Fogbugs had network effects, this would be a much bigger problem. But even without network effects, there are benefits to market share. So, um, so I thought that was a little bit off topic, but it doesn't even matter. And then he wrote, you know, you shouldn't just respond out of fear, which I thought was absolutely on, on target. I think that was very valuable to me even to think you shouldn't respond. Um, and, and I was glad he said that. And um, so, you know, e- even though at times we have taken opposite positions on things, and I certainly often take an opposite position than 37 Signals on the issue of whether apps should be uh, have a lot of features or should, should just do one thing and do it well. And, and um, uh, d- despite that, I still greatly admire and respect those guys, and I think they admire and respect me, I, I, I would hope. But, but what, what will happen on the Internet is a bunch of bored people who are using the Internet for entertainment want gladiators, right? And there have to be like, 37 Signals attacks Fogbug's latest post, or Fog Creek latest post, and they have to sort of make it out to be some kind of a, a battle that's going on. And, well, part of that, part of yep. that's not necessarily bad because it just depends if it's done in a spirit of sort of friendly rivalry or if it's done. No, but they're doing it in the, in, in the spirit of pure entertainment. Like they're on the internet and they want to entertain themselves. And the most entertaining thing on the internet, the things that get linked on, is the possibility of conflict. Everybody always is like, "Oh, fight, 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 fight!" And they'll all go into that room to watch the fight. But, but there's what I'm trying to tell you is that even Kathy Sirius said that there's the, the smackdown theory of learning where this actually does help people learn where you can actually you have two str- and actually you talked about this in your freaking your keynote for the dev days really? where I you're trying to make things pe- if you want people to understand the differences between two options make it a mock fight because then they'll immediately get it I talked about if, this in my keynote uh, basically you have two options oh okay yeah 
they're not different enough. So people yeah. are like, eh, it kind of looks the same. But if you point them as pro wrestlers and put those Mexican <laughs> wrestling hats on them right. and make them fight, they go, oh, I get it. Now this guy's big and strong and this guy's small, and, but he's fast and he's speedy. Right. I get it now. This is right. the difference between those two things. A certain amount of that helps people learn. Now, if, if it's the whole point where these people are killing each other and you know negative energy is being created, then it's bad. Right. But a certain amount of that friendly rivalry totally works and is actually a good thing. It's just, it's, it's a question of the spirit in yeah. which it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, that's, that's my point. It's, right. it's not all negative. It's no, not like no, there's nothing... Everybody I, has to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and there can never be any rivalries. I mean, that's ridiculous. No, I mean, it would be nicer if everybody held hands and sang Kumbaya. It would Kumbaya. be, it, it's but, not... It's but sometimes I'm just, I'm just trying, to, like, I, I might be trying to make a, a, a particular point, i.e., I need to fill column of 1250 words for my ink. Oh, I see. That's the real problem. <laughs> it's the word filling. And, and I need to, and that week I happened to have been thinking about a particular issue, which I thought would be interesting to stimulate the thoughts of some of the kind of people who read ink, which is like, is it really okay to grow? And I don't have a, necessarily have a great answer to that, but you do have to worry about if there's somebody growing larger than you in a space that um, at some point they're going to be so much larger that your, your business might become unviable even though you may have as good a product. Um, at some point you're, it's unviable because they're the safe choice or whatever. That was the whole point I was trying to make is to sort of create some conversation around this. Of course, if you're ever trying to create a conversation, everybody says, oh, that's link baiting or link trolling or he's just trolling on the internet. Right. Uh, whereas I think it's actually valuable to try to start conversations about interesting topics, um, but uh, whatever. Uh, um, I, I enjoyed that article tremendously. I thought it had a great point. I thought it was actually very clear. I yeah. mean, you've written things that I thought were less clear in the past, but this wasn't I one like of them. It. I All think right. the only sin of, of of writing is when you're not clear and people are misunderstanding. It depends what percentage yeah. of the audience is misunderstanding. There's a certain percent that will willfully misunderstand what you're writing. And it's not really it's those fine. people you're trying to reach. No. They're just – the people, like you said, they're seeking out the fight and just yeah. – but I think there are people who legitimately are like, okay, trying to parse your message, and they just fail. And I think when they fail, depending on how many of them fail, it's it could be kind fault. of your fault as yeah. a writer. And I actually made this mistake recently with the, the blog entry I did about careers. Yeah. I think a big percentage of people misunderstood because I didn't, I didn't go into enough detail. They wanted more detail, and they were sort of interpreting. Because I didn't provide it, they were sort of just making it up right, and right. getting it wrong. So I had right. to go back, and I thought that they were actually right. Not necessarily with their criticism, but with the, the complaint that I didn't explain it to them didn't properly. It. Yeah. One of the things and, that I think happened with careers, th- there is a lot of fear of careers. And, and it comes from, you know, I haven't done that good a job on Stack Overflow just because I'm not interested in it. Or I haven't worked on it that hard. Or it's just not a priority for me to ga- answer questions on Stack Overflow. And careers in some way tells those people, well, you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage in, in getting jobs. Because you're not out there contributing voluntarily, quote unquote. And people sort of extrapolate and they say, what if the whole world were like this? You know, what if the only way you get a job was based on your Stack Overflow reputation? Oh, God, now I have to spend another hour every night writing carefully researched answers to random things on Stack Overflow just so I can look like a... And that's obviously not at all what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is kind of the opposite, which is let's take a few thousand of the top people on Stack Overflow and make it easy for them to show employers who are hiring how good they are. That's kind of more of our, our goal. It's not like we're going to reinvent the entire universe of all job seekers everywhere so that everybody only gets a job based entirely on how much they contribute to Stack Overflow. No, that's definitely not the goal. And that's I mean, obviously kind of extreme, but you can see people kind of doing the math in their heads of like, well, I haven't really been working on Stack Overflow hard enough. And, well, I think one thing, and again, this is where I probably didn't explain it well, is, is if, if, you, if you don't spend a lot of time on Stack Overflow, that's fine. Yeah. Because when you set up the, the public CV, which... To be totally clear, it's 100% free. Yeah. There's no charge any ever for this for the rest of time. You can just have a, a URL, careers.stackoverflow.com slash whatever you want. Yeah. And on that, you can put links to whatever you've done. It could be open source projects. I mean, that's probably a, a much the, more... The, yeah, that's the more traditional way of doing it. Of saying, right, that's hey, a much more concrete benefit. I mean, yeah. okay, great, you have a Stack Overflow account. But uh, if you've built this open source thing that a bunch of people use, that's way more significant yep. than Stack Overflow. Let's be clear. I mean, I, in, in no way are we positioning Stack Overflow as the one way that... You know, you get right. validity on, in your career. That's well. It's also a little ridiculous now that I'm actually saying it out loud. Um, but totally, that is, I mean, that is ridiculous. You? But there was it, it did sort of uh, some of that angst arose in in your blog post. I could see in the comments there was a certain amount of angst over like, oh fuck, am I screwing my career by not 
playing along with Joel and Jeff's demands for their crazy point-based system. <laughs> and that's obviously way yes. too extreme. Yes, no, but you know what's interesting, though, is one side effect of this that is completely intentional, and there are things we do in Stack Overflow that are kind of intentional. We're trying to sort of guide behavior a certain way, trying to nudge people into doing things. And one of the things we're doing with careers, even though it's completely optional, you can use Stack Overflow all day long or not at all mm-hmm. and never even care about careers, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing required about this. Yeah, well, you, don't, you don't even get a badge for filing a CV. No. Yeah. There's no, no relationship whatsoever. Um, but if you do, one thing I've noticed, and actually there was a meta question that came up on this that I, was, I found retroactively very hilarious, was we had a user who's been around a long time since the first beta, uh, the early days, and he was posting on meta he, requesting that some of his – he wanted to delete some of his older stuff from the site because – it wasn't as professional as it should have been. Like, it was kind of jokey, silly stuff. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want that associated. Like, when employers saw his connected Stack Overflow account, he didn't want them to see the silly stuff that he had done. Right. And that is completely intentional because I think, for me, it's weird, like, talking about, like, you know, students doing dumb things on, on Facebook that their employers eventually find out about. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not in my DNA. Like, I don't ever do anything. I, I can say this with legitimately a straight face. I've pretty much always behaved in a way that, like, I, I would be comfortable with other people finding out everything I've done. I mean, that might be a little boring, actually, for some people, right? Sure. But for me, that's just how I am. So it's hard for me to even process the idea that you're going to do all these dumb things and then not want people to find out about them because I just don't do things <laughs> that are that silly. I, and in a way, it's a character flaw, right? I'm not as fun as I could be. But in terms of behavior on Stack Overflow, this is a good thing because we want everyone that comes there to behave professionally. Why wouldn't you, right? I mean, this is a prof- we're, we're all programmers. You can have fun, right? You can have some fun, but you want to behave in a fun professional way. And I think mm-hmm. there's there's a very clear line when it's fun professional versus fun stupid, <laughs> fun waste of time. Yeah. Um and and I think it's instructive for people to consider where they are in that line. Right. In not just on Stack Overflow but in their life. And, just on and the internet, about, what trail of themselves are they leaving behind? Yeah, exactly. Why not do things that you can point to that, that ultimately help you? Right. And and that includes the fun things. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that careers is focusing people and saying, Okay, now I gotta be a bit more professional, how is that possibly a bad thing? I think that's only a good thing. It's certainly um, good for us. Yeah, and I think it's good for them, right? <laughs> good for the I mean, site. It's good for them if they did it. I'm yeah. thinking back on some of the posts this guy left and I was like, Okay, if he had replaced that post with something more useful, everyone would have benefited, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh I won't go into the details because I don't want to single out this particular user too I've much. Gotten, I've gotten the same kind of emails, not for Stack Overflow, but for just the Joel and Software discussion groups where people suddenly discovered that one post they put on the Joel and Software discussion group months and months and months ago is now the number one Google hit for their name because they haven't bothered to have anything else on the internet with their name on it. And, and they're like, oh my God, people Google for me and this is what they find. And then they email me and say, um, could you take that down? Exactly. So more I usually do. Than- I probably shouldn't. There's probably something intellectually dishonest about my taking it down, but I just do. So more efficient than emailing Joel to take it down is not doing it in the first place, or even better, replacing that thing you didn't do with something you could have done that you could have pointed to, you yeah. know, that would have actually or just advanced. put lots of good stuff and wash out all the crazy childish stuff with lot, all the good stuff that you do. Yeah, because ultimately some of that stuff is kind of a waste of time. That's really what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> not in so many words. I mean, it's you can do it. You see people constantly trying to reinvent themselves by taking down all their blog posts from, you know, trying to take down their, their presence from the internet from when they were young and stupid and idiotic. Yeah, and sometimes, well, I guess probably the most, the case I'm thinking of now is, is why the lucky stiff who pulled down everything he had ever done. But that was bizarre because his stuff was incredibly useful. Well, that's what I'm saying. So that's, that's another case, but very extreme, of somebody just withdrawing from the internet that didn't yeah. make any sense. I'm thinking so here's this, a guy who had created all this, a lot of it was borderline art. He was kind of an artist, really. It was art, yeah. And he just pulled it all down. So that's kind of sad, actually. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that was ever resolved, was it? He just sort of fell off the planet. I think so. Yeah. Well, that's his, that's his right as an artist, I think. Too. But I've known other people who I won't mention by name who have sort of had a persona online that was, you know, confrontational, aggressive, ch- a little bit childish. Uh, and then sort of later kind of at some point grew to regret that. <laughs> No, that's a great point. I mean, that's certain behaviors are sustainable and certain behaviors aren't. Um, and I think sometimes it takes a while for people to figure that out and learn wow. which ones aren't sustainable. All right. Well, we've drifted. Any other any news this week? Gee, we finished the dev days. We launched I, careers. 
We launch careers. We have a uh, few more days left on the $29 deal to get your three-year CV yep. filing capability. That's right. So if you have any interest in, in uh, you can file a CV for nothing. But if you think at any point in the three years you're going to act- actively be looking for work, then I do recommend it, checking that out at least because that's a limited window. That's a good, really good deal. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I, I actually recently blogged about was we had our Amazon experiment. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm glad you blogged about that. It would be interesting to hear from some people that know better. You know, th- there was another – what you wrote basically was that the Amazon ads were worth zero. Basically, nobody clicked on them. They were right. – yeah. I mean, you could work at Burger King and make more money. Yeah. Really. But what was interesting is – well, first of all um, – uh, Amazon links in the text about when you're talking about a book in text and you link to it. Those work. Those totally work. Those work to a startling degree. And there was another study that I saw somewhere, which I didn't bother to read, but it said that, you know, a very small percentage of the people on the internet are the people who do all the clicking on display ads. Mm -hmm. And those must not be the programmers. (laughs) Well, that's that's what I think we're belatedly figuring out. There was this one commenter, Peter Cooper, who uh, had a great point about different audiences. He's had both kinds of audiences, developers and non-developers, and they're mm-hmm. just radically different in the way that they approach advertising. Right. Um, I remember Portman, Portman uh, Wills was the guy who helped us out and actually volunteered all this time and built this really cool thing, which turned out not to work, but uh, that wasn't really his fault. Um, he actually pointed out that some, he actually had evidence in the logs that people would actually click, go into the Amazon links and like remove the referrer link like explicitly. <laughs> They would actually go out of their way to disconnect the click from from our from getting uh, paid for it. Like before yes. they clicked on it, they were like, "Oh, let me just." Yes, exactly. They would actually go. I in think and there might it. be a there might be a Firefox extension that does that, or that re- changes the refer to somebody else, something like that. And and my attitude towards advertising is, you know, I'm not going to force it on anybody. If, if you want to block our ads, block our ads. I mean, I can't stop right. you. I'm not going to give you a lecture. It's, I'm not your mom. No. It's not really my job in life to no, tell you No, I mean, it'll be do. on your CV, of course. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we will silently modify your CV to let people know Ad the blocker. effects of what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, so if you're helps. trying to get a job at DoubleClick or Google or something <laughs> like that. Man, well, that's, that's, that's true, too. It's do. like if you work at Google, it's like, you know, you know what pays the bills there, right? All right. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, basically, you're a giant advertising company. Um, although mm-hmm. Google's thing now is that they, uh, a lot of the stuff they do is just to promote Internet usage because their view is in the, in the global scheme of things, the more people use the Internet, the more people will click on ads statistically. Right? That's certainly what they say about Android. But, you know, it's also about like we are so big and making so much money off of our ads that every time we feel like it, we're going to kill some poor small business by going into their business and sucking out all the oxygen by making that thing free just because we feel like it. So well, no, 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 no. Not even free. Beyond free. Yeah. Like, they actually will well, pay, we'll pay you, you. Yeah, there we go. to use your stuff. There was a great article. I'll put it in the show notes. And I didn't realize that this was happening. And I, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying. No, there were, remember the scammy things at the beginning of the dot-com boom that were like, like, we'll pay you to surf the internet, and we'll show you some ads, and we'll give you three cents a minute for looking at the ads. And those, and, and they'd be they're just gigantic pyramid schemes, and those things all failed immediately. It was a disaster. So Remember you're saying those? Google's a pyramid scheme? Yeah, this is whatever. This is it all. We, we did this all 10 years ago. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because the people that need to get that money are not the same kind of people that you want to advertise to. There is nothing worse than an advertisement targeted to people that you're paying to look at the advertisement. Nothing. Well, but it's not quite the same thing, though, because they would – let's use mobile phones as an example. So what happens is Android isn't just free. Google will actually pay the carrier – yeah. Who's building the handset and all this stuff and you know operates the network to use their operating system. So they're not directly paying the person using the phone. They're paying the person who sold that person the phone. Yeah. Right? I don't think it's quite the same thing as what you're describing. Maybe that's the same as the fact that they're like paying, you know, the fire the Mozilla Foundation whenever a search comes through the Firefox search bar or something like that. Yes. It's one level of intermediation yeah. apart. And I think I mean people love Google. I mean they I, there's no ill will that I can detect towards Google because when I wrote my blog entry about how no, Google was never 90... No, there's towards people giving away money. Yeah, exactly. I but mean, I'll tell you perf- where the ill will is going to be, and it's gonna, you're going to start hearing from it, is the companies that get wiped out because some idiot at Google's 10% project or 20%, whatever they call it, 20% projects, I don't mm-hmm. think they really get 20%, is suddenly becomes available free as a free version. Google just loses money doing something that everybody else is trying to make money off of because they just don't care. 
And it's what Microsoft did with Internet Explorer and pissed everybody off and just Microsoft did in general, which is basically the equivalent of dumping where they, they basically just went into some market and sucked out all possible profit from that market just because they felt like it or because they wanted to write some neat code and they couldn't figure out how to monetize it and didn't really matter to them because they have so much money. It's amazing how and eventually much of this- it's gonna it's the the way the way that Silicon Valley started to get mad at Microsoft for doing that. I think Silicon Valley will start to get mad at Google for doing that too. It's amazing how much of this you could just summarize as Microsoft is selling software, Google is selling advertising, mm-hmm. and just that's the whole story, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just interesting to me how how true that has become. I mean, certainly if you look at Android. And the way they're paying handset makers to use Android, and the logic being, you know, just more people yeah. on the internet. But you know, one problem I have with that is, do you really, do we really need to encourage people to get on the internet? No. I mean, is that something that needs? I mean, this is like encouraging people to have sex. I mean, does that really need to happen? I mean, I don't know. I just think the internet is so pervasive now that this whole logic of let's just get as many people on the internet as possible just seems redundant at some level. To yeah, me. It's like, but this isn't like a, a big global, like it would be good if more people use the internet. This is just a way that somebody gets their project that Google funded. They just need some kind of excuse to give Eric Schmidt so that they can get some money and some headcount and do something. They're like, well, you know, it's sort of like if we get an extra 100,000 hits on the blah, 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 then, you know, 12,000 of those are going to be Google pages and that's going to make us $2,000 in advertising I, revenue. And so it's worth at least $100 for that. Well, you know, you know it, it is interesting, too, because now I've been on both sides of this divide. The, the free, we provide a product for free, which is Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. right? And it's ad-subsidized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that. And then we provide a product that's not free. Well, there's parts of it that aren't free, which is the uh, uh, search part of the CBs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's definitely a lot more angst on side B <laughs> than side A. Uh, I don't know. And there's also a lot more stress on side B. So I can. Well, you so, have to, as soon as people are paying you, you have to give them a good service. You kind of well, right, and you something. should. I mean, that's part of the. Con- I'm not sure. in any way saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying it's much yeah. more stressful because, on side A, when it's ad subsidized, when people don't like what you're doing, they sort of know that they have no skin in the game, and they'll 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 be nice to you because they're trying to get you to do what they want, right? right. They're like, oh, if you only did this, it would be really cool, and they'll help you in, in active ways. Whereas on side B, it's more demandy and more yeah. whiny and more. Not that we've and to be clear, we've had a good careers experience. I'm just saying. There's a contrast there in the business models that's sort of interesting to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're very different things. And I can see why people like A. So you're, you're sort of mocking Google for pursuing A. And, but I can see why people would pursue A because A works. A, it works. Mm-hmm. And B, in some ways, it's actually a better experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you're giving people something for free, which they like, and then they try to be nice to you because they're getting this thing for free. And it's just a... Yeah. Presumably, but then they start to get this sense of entitlement, like everything must be free, and they start, you know, hiding the ads and whining about the ads. Yeah, but those that's a pretty small percentage True. of the audience, I think. True. So, anyway, interesting divide, Microsoft versus Google. You want to but, do some uh, listener questions? or? Uh, oh, yeah, let's do a lot. We got a whole bunch, of, really, a lot? Yeah, let's do a lot. We got a whole let's bunch piled up. Podcasts. Let's see what we got here. Um, what order should I do these in? I don't know. Um... Hello, Joel and Jeff. This is Edward Hangway in Berlin, Germany. Can you hear that? Yes. Okay. Perhaps I'm still the number one user on Stack Overflow for asking questions. I've used it ever since beta for learning things from Perl to PHP to WPF and lately the mysteries of MVVM. So I appreciate it very much. Hopefully I'm pushing up your page hits a little bit. My question for you is I would like to hear you talk about the sweet spot between technologies that you think are fun to work on and technologies that companies will be spending money on in the next couple of years. For instance, on one end of the spectrum, iPhone development, I see a lot of companies getting into and spending money on, but I'm not sure I really want to work in Objective-C from what I know about it, you know, managing my own memory, etc. On the other side, I would like to get into Ruby projects, but I'm not sure, at least here, how many companies are really spending or will be spending a lot of money on that. Uh, it would be interesting to hear your view on what you think is coming up that companies will be spending a lot of money on, and that would be fun. Hopefully you'll have a, a Stack Overflow conference here in Berlin sometime. Berlin. Well, I should note that I am I am pushing for the next, if we do this next year, I'm pushing it for, for it to be a much more global thing. Do much less in the U.S. and much more worldwide. Really? For the record. Totally. Because I think it, that's where the audience is and we can cover the U.S. in like two venues. Are you saying the audience is worldwide? I am totally saying that. 
And I think the interesting part for me is, you know, getting more of the international experience because I, I know the U.S. I love the U.S. Don't get me wrong, but I've sort of had that experience. And I think any developer in the U.S. I'm going to meet, I'll I'll meet him eventually. This is kind of a turnaround. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to localize the sites. <laughs> <laughs> you can friggin' come and do it in English. That's um, right. So let me let me. Yeah, have Berlin. Little, would you do Berlin? Yeah. I might do Munich, but Berlin, really? Okay, Berlin's fun. Well, Germany. We'll do it. Bottom line is, I'm too tired. I'm not doing any more of these. No, no, no. This, you got a whole year to think about this Dead. before it becomes an issue. So my comment to, to Edward's uh, uh, question, yeah. and I do remember him from Psych Overflow, of course. He was the person who, I don't know if it's still true, but had asked the most questions all time. Oh, really? He wasn't just saying that? <laughs> no, he actually did. I, I, you know, I haven't looked recently, but uh, cool. as of like six months ago, it was true. So I think we're looking at this the wrong way. I think this is a classic developer uh pathology of like thinking about the tools before you're thinking about yes. you know what what I don't really care. I mean why don't you want to build something that that is useful and awesome I think that should be yes. the, the criteria it's like where can I go where they're building something that's getting used right I mean getting used is the ultimate compliment for software I mean every every developer's built something that nobody uses and it's like what's the point it's like masturbatory at that point so somebody's using it it helps the world in some way I don't mm -hmm. know it depends on your goals mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it, it advances the state of the world in some small way. Uh, and then it's cool. It's a cool product, right? It's not, it, and then, then you look at the technology stack. I mean, I think that's the, way, that's the advice I would give. It's like look at the product and, and, and sort of the impact it's having on the world. Uh, and is that something you want to be associated with? And then look at the stack. And even if the stack kind of sucks, this is kind of like the advice in college. If you have a good teacher, it doesn't really matter what the subject is because the teacher is so good that he can make he or she can make any topic interesting. Hmm. And I think that applies here too. It's, it's like if you have a cool product that's yeah. helping people, even yeah, if it's who in, cares if you get the manager on memory? Even if it's in, let's say, PHP, right? Wait, wait. <laughs> it's, okay, that's, uh, now I know what question to ask next. <laughs> then it's worth doing. Even if it's PHP, it's worth doing. That's, anyway, that's my little lecture on that. Why do you have such a hard on for PHP? What's wrong with PHP? Oh. It's bad, but it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, th that is one of the things that I discovered when I suddenly found myself using the world's poorest technology to develop a really interesting application. That, you know, at some point, it's just, it's just like a dialect that you're speaking with your fingers. And maybe it's not the neatest thing. And, you know, uh, there are some people who will tell you that Ruby is, will, creates, you know, happiness, warmth, <laughs> summer days, <laughs> little girls with strawberry colored hair and, and ice cream cones and flowers and so forth. And the other people that will tell you that, that, that using languages like C sharp uh, is, is um, you know, basically like scratching your nails on your face. You know what? I think that's all marketing for the most part. It really is. I mean, it's just, it's like religious marketing. It's like one religion better than the other. It's like they all, it's yeah. all ultimately kind of the same thing, but go ahead. Yeah. So I'm pretty much with you on that because I think that if you are still at the level well, look, I mean, first of all, I don't, want to, I don't want to deny that there are great things that some languages have that other languages don't have and that you struggle with them in other languages and stuff is just really neat when you can do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I, I, I don't want to deny that. On the other hand, it's, it's almost always sort of secondary to what it is that you're building and what the algorithms are that you're doing, what kind of apps you're making and how you're connecting with users with those apps. And, and that, that stuff is sort of more substantial. And the idea that that the beauty or happiness comes from, you know, how many braces you have or, you know, it's, 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 it's taking it a little bit too, too, too far to an extreme, I think. And, and almost, it's almost, I hate to say this, but it's almost like a beginner programmer's mistake to think that there is such a difference between Ruby and Python that it could, it could matter which one you used. Well, the, you uh, do have to, you do, you do need some critical mass. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to pick a language that's so obscure that, like, there's, like, 50 Stack Overflow questions on the entire language. That's just a world of pain when you're in this really small sub. No, it just means that you're working at a much lower level. If there's well, 50, it means that you basically have, I mean, look, you can, you can, write, you can write CGIs in any language that can print. You know, you, ba you basically need to be able to get the HTTP headers and parse them. And... You just you just might have to parse all the dates yourself because there isn't a really good date parsing library, and you might have. But to... But that's real pain, though. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah, like, I guess you're right. It just, you have it to reach you some down. level of critical mass. It doesn't have to be huge. True, it doesn't have true. to be you know Java level of critical yeah. mass. But I think if you're a super early adopter, you have to enjoy pain to some level because you're going to have yeah. problems. I've said it once, and I've said it, and I'll say it many times. It's like the choice of languages is a little bit less important than the 
people that fret over it make it out to be. A little yes. bit less important. I mean, that, that's the key point is that the common platforms that lots of people are using, you will be successful if you use them. It won't, it won't be the difference between your being successful and unsuccessful. Probably won't be the difference between your being happy and unhappy. It uh, might make a difference between whether some particular date parsing thing you have to do takes a day or, or a week. But, you know, there's going to be some other thing that you have to do with email parsing that might, you know, be the opposite. Let me, let me, let me take your questions related to that here. Um, Hello, the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm Hello. Colin from San Jose, Colin. and I have a question about Ask.net and PHP. At the San Francisco Dev Day, Scott Hanselman talked about how Microsoft is trying to convert people to Ask.net MVC. I'm sure many developers like me look at the complexity of Ask.net MVC and are turned off by it compared to the echo hello world. He, he, he keeps saying Ask.net. I think he means ASP. There's this huge burden I have to understand before I can even begin to write any Ask code in a new application. I can't even find any benchmarks comparing ASP.NET and PHP website performance. So ASP. I'm having a hard time justifying using ASP.NET MVC to write my first web application. Please tell me why I should use it instead of PHP. Thank you. Huh. Well, I don't think you should. I mean, that's really <laughs> <laughs> brief answer to your question. I mean, I don't think there's any reason. If, if, you're, if you're happy with PHP, if you're building cool stuff with PHP, I mean, you don't have any problems that... ASP.NET would solve for you. And uh, off the top of my head, the only thing like you would get from going from PHP to ASP.NET is it really is way faster. Yeah. Like if you're actually performance limited, it's it's. And I just read something on uh, about Facebook the other day where they said Java and and ASP.NET are basically ten times faster in their testing than that, PHP. That would not. But they me. still use PHP, right? They haven't done this global switch. Um, I'll tell you, and 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 it's very simple to think about it at the lowest level. The reason is is how how much code has to run when you decide to call a method on a class, and in 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 C sharp, it's it's just a, a subroutine jump, and in PHP, there's got to be some kind of a looking up of things. Well, it's the classic interpreted Sorry, in versus compiled yeah. divide, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the PHP does do kind of compilation, sort of, into something, some in-memory structure of. that's going to run, and it's not like it has to parse the entire every single line of code like a traditional, like basic interpreted language. It doesn't it's not that bad? Um, the problem is that well, in these late these late bound languages where you don't know the types of things, and the same thing applies to a Python and Ruby. You don't know the types of things until runtime. Not knowing the type of the thing means that you don't really know how to call that function. Uh, until runtime. You can't well, figure that out in advance at compile time. And so calling that function is a matter of looking up, okay, what type of this thing do I have? And therefore, where, where does this method live? And then I can call it for you. And since a function call is something that you do a lot of in code, you know, there's several of them on every line of code, uh, that, that adds up pretty rapidly. And that's the key difference between the... the um, early bound and the late bound languages in terms of performance, and that's why PHP is going to be slower, and it probably doesn't matter. Well, I, I would say, what are your pain points? I mean, certainly, right. and I think this is a classic interview question. It's actually a very good interview question. What are the five things you hate the most about your favorite language? Mm -hmm. So if that's you can't come yeah. up, yeah. if you can't come up with five things you hate about PHP, yeah. then I, I don't think you're thinking deeply enough about what you're doing, yeah, <laughs> because maybe. every language sucks in its own way, right? right? Yeah. Um, and that's what you got to think about: is, is this pain really enough to cause me to a want to learn or even practice uh, yeah. another language? And one thing I like about C Sharp, and this is I think a testament to the way Microsoft has run the language, and you know having Anders involved, they've really done a great job of, particularly in C Sharp, addressing the pain points. I mean, you have generics came in .NET 2.0 that was huge, um, and you know the var keyword we now have, which I love. I mean, mm -hmm. these are direct pain points like property getters and setters. Just the more stupid code I have to write, the angrier I get. <laughs> um, code that doesn't really tell, you know, right. code that doesn't mean anything that I have to write just like because I have to write it. Like Objective C was really bad about this. That was watching Rory's demo. I was like. I was just my face hurt because you were having to write all this code that didn't mean anything just to do X. Um, the one, the thing that drives me crazy about, uh, in, in, I, I, you saw it in all those demos for uh, iPod. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, what, what are they called? Uh, not iPod. iPhone. iPhone development. The thing that they always had in those demos, um, and, and it was always a problem because they had to fit their screen onto ten twenty four by seven sixty eight, which no self respecting programmer would really be using. But um, there, there are these various things that are, as far as I can tell, can only be done in their IDE by dragging from you know point A to point B in two different windows. And so there's always 45 minutes of window arranging <laughs> just so that you can do the one big glorious drag that right. associates 
two things that in any superior language would just automatically self-associate by virtue of having the same name. Right. So, so not to dig on Objective-C any no. more than I already have, yeah, but well, my it's... point is you've you got to be able to come up with five things you don't like about a language before you really understand the language. Cool. So if you're, if you're not at that point in PHP, there's probably no reason for you to All right, switch. let's do our five things about C-sharp <laughs> that we don't well, like. Well, number one, case sensitivity. Yeah. That's a no-brainer for me. I think that's so dumb. And has just, it's okay. never going to change, of course. Well, that's because you gonna... came from a VB background, but do you ever make a case mistake? I mean, you got IntelliSense, it doesn't really All the happen. time. Really? I mean, Scott Hanselman said if he had a nickel for every case-related bug he's had to fix, he'd really? have like thousands of dollars. Oh, I never noticed that because usually I just start typing and I hit tab and it fixes it and I'm done. Yeah, but it's easier when, it, yeah. Okay, it's, got it. It's a real problem, in my opinion. The other uh, way the to other... solve that problem is just to have a, a case convention so you never make a case mistake because there's a convention that you just follow. So number two for me would be, uh, and this isn't really a language feature to be clear, but I yeah. think there's things in the language that make it easier or harder, mm-hmm. um, is uh, d- dynamic background compilation. It, it drives me crazy that I'm going to wear out Control-Shift-B on my keyboard. I'm constantly compiling. Yeah, why doesn't it just do that? Yeah, why, uh, what the hell? Why the isn't, this is ridiculous that I have to compile. for you. Because one thing I used to do in VB, and maybe you'll make fun of me, but this really worked. If I wanted to figure out where a variable was being used, I would just rename it. Yeah, and then you would and jump to that line. And I would get, get all these error. compilers showing me all the places this variable was <laughs> like, Yeah, That's something you can't do in these late-bound languages like uh, Ruby and Python. That doesn't really no. work. Get I know. The more, yeah, I actually, I've really come around to the idea that static typing and dynamic typing are both needed. I don't think that going to either end of the, the, the spectrum there is actually correct. I think... Yeah, this is a chocolate it's... versus vanilla kind of thing that's going to be a permanent debate and there's just going to be pros and cons forever. But I think the, the, the ideal language would have aspects of both where you could be static type when you want to be and be dynamic when you don't want to be like completely at will mm-hmm. that would be perfect and yeah. actually sharp i think is moving in that direction look up type inference we got into yeah. that in the podcast last week and scott hanselman was wrong 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 and anybody who knows anything about it it did turn out that you i think were right about that i just got Thank tired you. of the discussion <laughs> you cut it off a little too soon hey uh yeah Okay. Some people like that, though. Some I need to come up. I, I need. To, I need to come up with one that I don't like about my favorite development. I don't really have a favorite development environment. Apple Script, VBA. No. You know what I don't like in, in C Sharp? It's a little bit too hard to remember how to do iterators. Like there's just like a, a few too many. Like the syntax is a little bit too complicated. I'm trying to think of. Those are my two big ones. Those are the, the two complaints I already have. Those are so big that everything else just kind of falls by the wayside. Right. Right. Um, not a huge fan of curly brackets, but I just I deal. Uh, the case sensitivity I think is a much much bigger issue for me. They do actually fix things in 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 ASP.NET, MVC, and C sharp. Like for example, they fixed the the biggest problem was the not automatically encoding HTML, and so yes. you had to call H, uh, server.html encode or whatever it was called like way too often. Yep. Now you can use uh, beasting colon. Yeah, yeah. Beasting equals. And yeah, get the and that's coding. that's cool, and that's just sort of a sign that they're fixing things. They, the the var statement is a sign that they're fixing things. The fact that they've added lambdas, uh, in a way, is is a sign that they're fixing things. And I um, take those all as positive signs. There's there, oh, there was just one right. thing. There's progress. I mean, that, this is huge. I mean, if for a have, language, languages typically don't change that rapidly, and I think <laughs> Sharp has changed very rapidly in in web forms. In, have you ever had this happen to you in web form? I, I don't think I don't think this is ASP.NET in general. I think it's only in web forms where if you have a bound field that has a date in it and you try to set the format of that date the format string of the date mm-hmm. field date time field to you know make short date or long date or whatever it, it doesn't take effect and the answer is that you have to add html encode equals false or some little stupid thing like that anybody who's ever done this is going to know exactly what i'm talking about and it's like it's always the number one question on the discussion groups, which is, hey, I changed the date format using the obvious method for changing the date format, i.e. the date format parameter. You know, you know what I anything. just realized? You know what I just realized is the way Microsoft delivers the language, I think, is kind of a competitive advantage. Because if you look at, like, Python, isn't there Python 3? Like, even in the Dev Days demos, yeah. there was this whole divide of, like, Python 2.6 versus Python 3. Well, Python 3 is, like, they, they moved forward, but they eliminated some, some mistakes from earlier versions of the language that they just didn't want anymore, thus yeah, but, making it incompatible. Yeah, there's this huge divide, though, where it's mm-hmm. not clear at all that 3 is ever going to actually have currency. Uh, Whereas, yeah, Python 3 probably will, but I think Perl 6 probably won't. 
Yeah, yeah, and look at Perl 6. So I think yeah. a lot of these languages, they have a very difficult time evolving. I think Java has failed to evolve. I think that's more Sun's fault than anything else. But very few languages actively evolve. I think that, that uh, Bruce Eckel kind of made a good point in, 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 in Washington about that exact thing. Uh, in the Washington Dev Days, Bruce Eckel, who wrote um, uh, what, what thinking, are his called? Java. Yeah, thinking in Java, thinking in C++, and thinking in Python. And is now a big Python advocate, I would say. But but basically, what he said is the whole reason C is such a terrible language, and I won't go into the details here. But th- everything that you look at at C all the reasons why it's complicated and beastly and causes you to shoot yourself in the foot a million different ways, and it's basically like just you know a gigantic you know enough rope to hang yourself, and then and then you know and a gun as well. And and you could also hang like several families, probably right. <laughs> like a leftover exactly. rope. Uh, and and it's all. He claims because, and obviously you could go on for this, and this this could be a book, but it's all because of their their need to be upwards compatible with C code. And why does C plus plus have to be upward compatible with C code? Why couldn't you just make C plus plus a different language that generates the same you know f- object files that can be linked with C code, and then you can write your new code in C plus plus and your old code in C, and therefore your old code would still be available. And 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 why couldn't they just do this and they asked Drewstrip this, why, why, why he didn't just make it an incompatible language that linked together with C for backwards compatibility. And he said that he didn't want the overhead of a subroutine call. So if you needed to get from the C side to the C++ side or vice versa, if, if they were linked separately, you would have to jump. You, know, you would have to have a, J, a JSR, a subroutine call, basically a call instruction. And uh, nowadays, that's ridiculous, right? Like today, that, 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 the subroutine call is the fastest possible thing. There's no... There's no overhead in that you know it's even measurable practically um, and yet because of this need to stay backwards compatible they made the language kind of horrible and then and and, and sort of bruce echo's next point is if you have a language and technology has moved on and there are better ways of doing these things and you discover that you've made mistakes and there were certainly a bunch of mistakes made in the early days of java and uh slightly fewer but 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 also mistakes made in the early days of c sharp that everybody feels like they need to continue to support until the end of the time uh, I'm trying to remember what the one was in uh, that, that he mentioned in Java, but I think it was the difference between um, like the int type and the integer type, mm-hmm. where like one is an object and the you know, and th- this was probably just a design. He had a better he had a better example in Java that that's been around forever, and they can't get rid of for com- compatibility reasons. And at some point, it's like just stop evolving your language. Just say this language runs this code. We give up. If you want to do those new cool things, use a different language. And in the .NET world, that works really kind of well, actually, because they can all kind of call each other, and you can add the new code in the new language and keep the old code in the old language. Isn't that kind of what they do? Like C Sharp 2.0 is a target, C Sharp 3, although not really real versions of the language, in my opinion. But C Sharp 1.0, for example, doesn't have generics. So. But, but they've sort of kept it so that you can take C Sharp 1.0 code, and it will still kind of... I mean, I don't think they've removed any language features. Maybe they have, but I don't think they've really changed but there anything. There is some deprecated stuff. But I don't know if it's been removed. Yeah, it still works. Compiler warning kind of thing. Yeah. But so, I really um, admire the way they've evolved the language. And I think this is what's preventing me from, from hating C Sharp is that I, I see that it's evolving, like actively as I'm using it. And it's addressing my very real pain points with the language. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's really my only point. Do we have time for one last listener question? Um, no. No. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Joel hates <laughs> listeners. That's what I'm hearing. We will take more listener questions next week. Hey, uh, yeah. Let's just let's. This has been an hour. We could we could we can we can pretty much end it. Yeah. Um, and it's like late on a Friday afternoon. Hey, today was the Yankee Yankee uh, parade. They had a ticker tape parade right outside of our office, so the streets were absolutely mobbed. The, the, the building sent around the memo telling you the secret way to get into the building if you actually wanted to work today because the streets <laughs> were absolutely mobbed with like wow. a million Yankee fans uh, and you couldn't get anywhere near our building. Yeah. Uh, Are there guys out there going Yankees suck? No, that would be a bad idea. And, <laughs> and you, but it was actually kind of cool because we could see the whole parade and the whole ticker tape parade that they had and it was just like pretty right, right outside the, the developer's offices. So, uh, Another perk of working at Fog Creek, FYI. That's right. When the, when the Yankees win the World Series, you get to watch the parade from your office. Very cool. Without even stopping, stopping work. Um, well, you've been listening to Stack Overflow Dev Days 
I don't know what this is. Not Dev Days. It's <laughs> right. a podcast. Joel's very confused. This is the podcast. Can yeah. If you have a, a listener question, if you're if you listen to this show and you are a listener, and that has caused you to uh, you know like come up with a question or something that you want us to discuss in a future episode, you can call the Stack Overflow podcast hotline at 646-826-3879 and record it. Try to keep it under 90 seconds. And, or you could use like the microphone on your computer to record it into a MP3 or Agvorbis file and email it to podcast at stackoverflow.com. Um, what else? There's a wiki where people write down the transcripts yep. of the show. That will be linked to from the show notes, where you'll also find hyperlinks to the various things that we mentioned during the show. Special thanks to, I don't really have anybody to special thank, but the show notes, uh, where, the, where all the hyperlinks are, is uh, along with this show itself at blog.stackoflow.com. And um, presumably we'll be back next week, but, but I'm going to be in San Francisco for the business of software, so we'll either record this thing live or I don't know what. We'll probably record it live. Okay. Well, we'll have to. It's going to be that 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 low quality audio thing like we did last week. Sorry, guys, where I just bring the little hand handheld thingamajiggy and record it. Yeah. So brace yourselves for low quality audio, but you guys can handle it. You're tough. Yeah. I could bring this with me, but it's like a whole suitcase full of gear. It's just pain. Nah, it's not worth it. Okay. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.